0: giant robots smashing the other giant robots
1: this is the giant robots smashing the other giant robots podcast where we explore the design development and business of great products i'm your host chad pytel
0: and i'm your other host Lindsay christensen and we're rejoined today by our sheer share founders hello courtney and ty hello hello what's
2: going on guys
0: love that energy i saw some exciting news recently about it what was that you were selected to go to an accelerator, perhaps?
3: Yeah, man. We are stoked about that. Yeah. So, you know, Google for Startups is hosting its inaugural accelerator for Black founders and had a massive amount of folks show interest, as one might imagine. I think it was over a thousand applicants or, or close to that count. And they chose wow. 12 startups from around the country. And Shearshare is one of those inaugural 12.
1: Congratulations. Yeah.
2: People Thank still you. people still like our platform. They like what we do. And uh, it just gives us it gives us it just gives us excitement that, you know, you realize that tech is going one place. But you don't never know where your business, what rooms is in and, and whose eyeballs and whose ears are listening in on it. So just to continue to get the love, the feel, the validation, it really feels good.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about like what the um, structure of the accelerator Mm -hmm. is? Like what's the deal?
3: Yeah, well, of course, you know, in the year of the pandemics, this is going to be a virtual program. Um, So it'll be online for the length of 10 weeks. We get uh, assigned a startup accelerator, like success manager, if you will, kind of like our main point of contact. Um, But this is all about artificial intelligence. It's all about. Um, helping you refine your machine learning algorithms, it's really taking advantage of you know some interesting things within deep tech. And so, yeah, you know, our team is beyond stoked about the capabilities that this is going to bring to our platform and what this is going to do for our community. Um, because they're already using the app, they're already leveraging technology, and we're going to do that even more seamless for them in order for them to keep more of their hard-earned money. We're here for that.
1: This is your first accelerator, right?
3: No, this is not our first rodeo. We went through YC Fellowship. Mm -hmm. It was a virtual program back then as well. They flew all the founders into Mountain View for a day. But then after that, it was a virtual program. And that came with, I think, like a $20,000 grant. Um, But then we rolled into 500 Startups, Batch 19, Love, Mm -hmm. Christine Stein, and the folks at our 500 Strong family, um, and graduated that, I believe it was early 2017, So no accelerator since then. Um, We've been asked to participate in other accelerators, but none of them seem to be a good fit for that part of our journey within Shearshare until this Google for Startups Black Founders Accelerator came up.
1: Yeah, which having been through prior accelerators and what made you decide to take the leap and, and do another one, specifically this one then? It's Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's a good honest answer.
3: Well well honestly the, you know the people who are running the program, Joel Burks and Jason Scott, I mean these are you know folks who are revered um, just not only in the, the startup community as a whole, but you know they they're operators as well. So you know they, they get the privilege that they have you know working within the Google community as Googlers and how much so they, they have passion in their heart to pay it forward to startup founders who are coming you know after them. But understanding... You know the importance of tech. You know not just in fintech or the importance of AI, not just in uh, maybe real estate transactions, right? But it's how can we best help the startup founders who are truly helping to you know upend their industry. And I don't want to use the word disrupt, but really, you know, for the the sanctity of keeping our small businesses open, how can we provide our expert resources in order to do just that? And so when when Google says, "Hey, we're going to give you access to our AI experts, uh, I think it's a very easy yes. In you don't case. You
2: don't jump. You run.
3: <laughs> yeah, they've been really good to us. I mean, every interaction we've had with a Googler has always been positive. Honestly, you know, for us, it was also how Google is is helping to you know push the message forward about not just you know. Black Lives Matter, but truly making sure that tech becomes diverse. Um, and when you have a giant of an organization like that, constantly give back to our our community specifically. When I say our community, our community of stylists and salon and barbershop owners who leverage Google on a daily basis to put their you know free profile up on Google so that people can find them, right? So they can get more bookings, mm-hmm. so they can get more revenue in their business, and be able to you know teach them how to how to advertise with Google so that people can find them more quickly. And more often. And so just having the optics externally for what we know the Google brand is trying to do for the greater good of, you know, the, the nationwide culture, we're here for that. And so, again, it was it was an easy yes, because it matched up with, you know, our long term vision and mission and internal culture for sheer share in
0: droves. For. Startup accelerators, correct me if I'm wrong, there's sometimes a financial incentive for the accelerator itself, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're getting shares in the company or something Mm -hmm. like that. Could you talk us through how that works?
3: Yeah, not through the Google for Startups uh, Black Founders Accelerator. Hmm. The access that we get is to the inner teams within Google, right? And that to us is is huge because as we look to like hire on a data scientist, you know, um, going through this program will help us better refine what that job description needs to look like. Our engineering team is super excited about being partnered and paired up with these experts who have been in the field and who you know have access to so much data, you know, compared to you know our little you know pond of of beauty and barbering professionals, but being able to learn from those folks who are doing this in tons of data, right? Like I can't even think about the terabytes of data that these machine learning experts see on a, by second basis. But for us, it's the value of having that type of partnership and relationship. There's no equity of our company um, that goes to Google. You know, part of the program is that they give us access to their resources. Like they're really trying to, to pay it forward and we don't have to lose equity for that access. Oh, cool. Yeah, very cool.
1: Has that been a part of previous accelerators that you've done?
3: It wasn't um, for YC Fellowship because that was a grant, but Mm -hmm. 500 startups, it it was, yes. um, It was uh, was an equity play, and that was hugely beneficial for us because that was – helping us really get our footing when it comes to Silicon Valley and the investors, just the investor world period, right? Because coming from uh, middle America, you know, two tech founders who do not, have experience in tech per se, like we're not coders on the weekend, right? Being able to kind of march us into those very specific rooms and help us learn the vocabulary of startup founders, helping us um, get right. access to, you know, people who are legal counsel for tech startups and accountants for tech startups. And where do you go to hire, you know, your team and what's just, the most important?
2: Just the whole landscape, really, you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where we are, we're excited about Google for the reasons that five hundred and YC you know fellowship three provided us, you know having that not not really knowing what they were about, not not just being in that world, and like Courtney said, coming from middle America, we were just like fish out of water, yeah, and so exactly. getting that opportunity to understand everything about it, everything about the tech world the the investor world, everything about the relationships. You know, and just the reciprocality of all the people that we're going to run into because it's a really a small circle. And so that has been just the best thing that we can say that we've gotten out of just the accelerators prior to Google for startups. And, and what gives us this great opportunity to really expand our horizons is them giving us the machine learning and the AI and give us, giving us their best talent and wanting to help black founders, you know, because, you know, they know sometimes there is a gap in getting funding, there is a gap in getting the right tools when it comes to the right training, the right people. And so that's just paying it forward. And And we're just like stoked. I mean, we're just smiling ear to ear and we don't, we don't know how to not stop smiling, even when we have bad days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mentor at Techstars, for example, and a big part of that accelerator program is a demo day at the end. And yeah. many presentations at the end of that, they literally wrap up their presentation saying something like, we're seeking to raise five million dollars on a next valuation. If you you know want to do that, get in touch. And a big part of what those companies are in accelerators for is to launch into their next fundraising round. Is that the approach that you took? Did that timing line up for you, or was that not uh, the stage you were at when you came out of five hundred startups?
3: Yeah, no, that was exactly the stage you were at coming out of 500. Prior to 500, we had received zero funding from an institutional uh, perspective or a VC mm-hmm. firm, right? So our first money in ended up being an angel investor, actually a black female angel investor out of Texas. And that happened the week before demo day because mm-hmm. 500 also has like a preview demo day for some of their, you know, closer investment cronies, right? And so they'll bring you out to, at the time we were out in Mountain View, brought you out to Mountain View, and we were just in our little meet and greet area. And each startup founder was able to kind of pitch the room. And so those investors that were sitting there in that room that day kind of got priority access to the founders if that was a a good match. And so first money in was um, that angel investor from Texas. And then first institutional funds came after we graduated from 500 startups. Oh gosh. And actually, if I think about it, it, first VC Funds in were from another black female. It was Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital. How awesome is that? It's awesome. Yeah.
0: Do you think it was because they understood your business in a way that others didn't understand as well?
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, if it's a great ideal, it's one thing, but if you understand the network cracking and the problem we're trying to solve is even that much better. So a lot of times with these investors, they, like Arlen, we just spoke with her probably, we had 20 minutes with her at South by Southwest. We spoke with her there 20 minutes and we sent her uh, certain things that she needed in the due diligence. And that was it. And wow. some investors, like the first and first angel, it was just like, I love the idea and the wire came through like two days later. So mm-hmm. it's just those type of things. But then you have your your few offs. I'm not going to say one offs. You have your few offs <laughs> that you have to that you have to go in and you have to coerce. They're not mm-hmm. realizing that every time they get up in the morning time, whether it be you know, a comb or a brush or a product, a skincare product, a lotion that they're putting on. They just so they're, they're so detached from that world of beauty that they're so close to. That they don't even get it. So we've Mm -hmm. had to just really hold hands and and just show slides and give data, give so much across the board. It's like, well, really, is it that big? And I'm like, (laughs) you got a comb in your pocket. You probably got a shaver in the morning time. Hair grows every day. Exactly. And so, you know, it's those people that are And it's not that they don't know about the industry they're really about the numbers. They want to know what they're putting their money into. They want to know if this seed is going to reap me some fruitful return. And so that's when we have to really do our work as as visionary founders to really go in there and present them with something. But most people, uh, if they've come in early and they didn't ask for a lot of due diligence, it was just, hey, let me know what your angel amount is and I'm going to send it. And we just recently had an investor call. I'm going to share this because we're still going through this with the investor. That you know their check size was ten to one hundred thousand, and so we asked them you know because they sent us a a litany of things that they wanted for due diligence, stuff that you have to have in order to get into a uh, accelerator like Google, stuff that you have to have in order to be going through your pre seed round, having people like the rise of the rest, the precursors the structures to have come in on their pre seed they asked us for all these things as if we were just starting our business. So we went back to ask them, what's your check size? Because if we if their check size is anywhere under 50,000, we're not even going to provide them no information. It's mm-hmm. just not even worth it. It's just not even worth the problem because you start to realize who really is an investor by heart of what they're doing and by their knowledge and and, and, and their insight. And then you start to realize people who are looking for opportunity that more so benefits them. And it's really not a real reciprocal partnership.
3: Mm-hmm. You remember when we first started having investor meetings and, you know, just the, the blank stares that we would get from across the table. Like we were trying to share, yeah. help, help the investors understand, you know, this is how people go to work, you know, every day. Like there's an entire different, you know, genre of folks who are out there. Hitting the pavement every single day, you know, who don't dress up in suits, who don't look at, you know, KPIs on a spreadsheet every day. Like this is a very people to people industry. And I think because they couldn't see themselves in that spot, it was difficult for them to understand what it was that we were trying to accomplish.
2: And those were the green. Those were I call those the baby ty and courtney days we were very green (laughs) we 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 wanted to be liked and and we felt like if we go in there with our with our best selves and you know edit ourselves to the things that they liked and not just really go in there just with that game plan because we learned a long time ago in 500 they told us that you know be careful you know how you represent yourself going into these investors offices and in these meetings because the investor world is very is very small Mm -hmm. and so you want to make sure that if you go in there and giving your best self They're going to share who you are to the next investor, and you just never know who that investor is. Even if you've never been introduced to them, they may have been introduced to you in a whole different circle of of investors. And so, if they see you, they're going to remember how you were. So, we were just trying to understand that. But as we started to get a little bit more mature, a little bit more wise, and being that we're entrepreneurs and and business people amongst ourselves, and been in business and have failed and and been successful, we had to really say, you know what? Let's take off this layer. Let's take off this next layer and let's just be our authentic selves Mm -hmm. going in because we know what we're talking about. Plus we were a little bit more wise in our our startup because we understood a lot more than we did going before because before we just had the idea. Now we have the data. Now we have the numbers. Now we have things for them to kind of say, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. And that's what really drove us to start being a little bit more doggish in our Mm -hmm. just approach and really being uh, prescriptive in who we wanted to relate to. And then starting to figure out who is really an investor and who is really just someone who's wasting time (laughs) as an investor and maybe somebody who's two or three people down from the person that's really making a decision. So we became very, very uh, smart in those areas. And that's what really made us realize we really want relationships. We've turned down a lot of money. But we also the money that we turn down is worth it. And the money that we're receiving is worth it. It may take a little longer, but that's fine. As long as we get the right partnerships. Yeah.
3: You always say the, that slow growth is the, the right growth. Slow
2: growth is the best growth.
3: Yeah. yeah. Our industry, it's like you're, you're turning the Titanic. Right. But if you turn that Titanic like an inch, watch out because, oh, my gosh, you know, waves will be felt and the impact will be felt. Yeah, you know, I think back to, you know, even like the first times we would go into investor rooms and, you know, they would ask us, you know, so tell me about share like what is this and how do people work? And, and Ty's right, you know, after a while, we had to stop assuming that the investors knew more about what we were about to present than we do. And, mm. and so now that, that feeling is completely different because no investor in any part of America around the world, period, I don't care who it is, can tell us more about our industry and what we do than we can. Right. I mean, 30 years in this thing, it's not, you know, for the the weakened spirit, like running you know, your own salon, your own barbershop, your own small business. Right. You see how both sides of the marketplace play. And, you know, Ty has the chops now that he's gone back to school to earn his doctorate in professional barbering and cosmetology. So that gives us a leg up. But seeing how real people interact every single day that's where we stay. And so no one else can tell us more about the community that we serve than we can.
2: And I think a great example is Jalen Smith from the Dallas Cowboys with his MEI fund. So we were one of 150 uh, that made it to the top 10, but out of the top 10, we were one of five who made it to the round. But going through the interview process, they said something that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. The people that were interviewing us, one of the guys said, we're going to assume that you're the experts until we feel like you're not. Mm. And they made us feel like we're supposed to be there. They said, you are the experts. We don't know anything about your business. So when you present to us, that's what we're taking. Your word is golden to us. And we were able to just unleash. And this was during COVID when all this happened. So we were just able to just go in, do our best pitch and present, and then end up getting Jalen as one of our investors During the COVID. And so MEI, the Jalen Smith Fund, has come in as an investor. But it just goes to show you there are people out there that really understand the world that we live in in as founders and the things that we're building. And if it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. And they're going to let you know.
3: And that was the first in-person tech event since COVID hit. Absolutely. And it happened in the Dallas Cowboys headquarters. So how funny is that? Hmm. Um, But even I think about like the language that we had to use going into those investor meetings. Remember, Mm -hmm. like we would start talking about you know, the language that we know, you know, in our industry, if we're talking to, you know, another salon owner or beauty and barbering professional, and again, the, the glaze over kind of eyes coming, looking back at us from across the room. And then we said, okay, well, that's probably not working. Uh, what else can we do? I'm like, oh, well, we're a marketplace. Like they totally understand, you know, when you use the word two-sided marketplace or an in-sided marketplace, when we started to change up the the language that we were using while we were talking about, you know, this big behemoth of, of the, an ecosystem that we're building out for the industry, um, people started to pay attention then. They're like, okay, well, I can understand when you start talking about marketplaces, because maybe they had been a prior investor in Airbnb, or they may have been a prior investor in TaskRabbit, um, or an early investor in Uber, right? And so they were understanding when we use terminology like excess capacity or monetizing, you know, empty seats, like they, that's the kind of information that made them go, oh, okay, I get it. And so before every room that we walked into, we'd have to kind of do, you know, a gut check figure out, you know, what type of investor is this person? What what were the things that that were important to them that we could at least kind of gather from, you know, their Twitter presence or their, uh, you know, bios or if they had any videos uh, or if they had written any articles, try to understand, you know, the, the person's psyche to see what was important to them. And if it, if it was a match, we would continue with having that in-person pitch meeting. If it wasn't going to be a match, then we would forgo the meeting. But when we got small, about how to talk the language to a particular investor, uh, that was where we also started winning.
1: So you got more comfortable over time. How many times did you fundraise so far?
3: So we bootstrapped Sheer share for a couple of years before being introduced to the world of startups. Right, we we didn't know that there were people out there called angels <laughs> that would give you money. We're like, what? <laughs> Where do they do that at? And so that was you know a couple of years in, maybe two and a half, three years in, and then angel investor, uh, and then 500 startups. So the VC funds didn't come till after we graduated from batch 19 to 500 startups. But it took, even then when we were raising our pre-seed round, it took over a hundred meetings before we got to the yeses, before the yeses started trickling mm-hmm. in. And I'm so very grateful that my husband's and my you know, default disposition is pretty positive anyway. And so I'm glad we didn't stop at like number 99, right? Because, you know, 101 through 110 were yeses. And so if we had just stopped, it'd probably be a a different outcome than where we're sitting today.
1: Do you think that investors need to start to hear yeses to sort of like gain momentum in your fundraising? Or Mm. could the first 10 could have just as likely been yeses?
2: I think that it's relational. I think that whoever that influential investor is that that is saying that yes, he knows in his portfolio of investors who are willing to invest in something Mm -hmm. uh, more readily. But he knows his his portfolio. And so that's what we really strive for is getting the right relationships, whether that be angels and and whatnot. Even our first angel, even coming out of five hundred. He's in Florida. He's the one that turned us on to one of our other investors that we had talked to two years ago. And we now got a second turnaround to talk to them. But you really like I said, you really understand within those yeses who are really championing for you uh, as Mm -hmm. a startup and as a company to really get the, the funds you need to continue working because they know the grind that it takes to go through. Fundraising is actually a job within itself. Uh, to get that money. So they really want to help you get back to work because they know that money can be a problem if you're trying to worry about the day -day they're paying the bills, paying for products, depending on how robust your company is starting to grow, and then making sure you're paying your team, even when it comes to wanting to hire the right people. Because when you're building something like we're building, and I think that's what's so great about Google for Startups is that not only do you need the expertise, but you also need the wherewithal to say, okay, these are the things we're going to need. So, yes, we're going to need a data scientist once this comes on, once it, once we get through this. But, yes, those investors are, are key components to helping these founders, especially uh, African-American founders who, who really get not a lot of funding when it comes to walking into uh, investors' offices.
3: Yeah. And like if we had to look back, you know, if we had and we did, we took a look at the, the VC firms, you know, websites, right. And, and tried to see, okay, was there anybody there that looked like us? You know, was anybody there who was a black VC? Is it, was there a black investment associate, you know, on the pages and the times where we were told, no, there were, there weren't any, um, and mm-hmm. very few of them had, you know, female, you know, VCs, you know, people who partners who were helping to make the decisions to invest. And so, mm-hmm. Walking into those rooms, I remember that that seemed to be the spirit in the room. It was not, you know, I'm looking across the table at two people who were kind of talking a different language to me because I have no idea how beauty and barbering professionals get paid. I don't, you know, care to know, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a big market to me because I go to supercuts or great clips, you know, every couple of weeks, maybe like once a month to get my haircut. And so those rooms where there was someone who looked like us, that the message for sheer, share was received completely differently. Uh, and so we, again, we started to become a lot smarter in who it was that we wanted on our cap table um, and who it felt, that it made sense to have a conversation with.
1: So how much in total have you raised?
2: We have raised to, to date uh, and we're still finishing out our seeds, but to date we have raised 1.9. Mm-hmm.
1: So actually that's an important distinction. So you still consider all of the fundraising that you've done seed fundraising and you haven't raised what you would call a series A yet?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we haven't raised um, our Series A. So we did 1.1 of our pre-seed. We're in the middle of, of our seed round right now. Yes. So we haven't yet to get to the Series A.
1: How do you think about what the sort of line is in the sand for when your Series A would be? And what milestones do you have for that?
3: Exactly. No, great question. Yeah. So it's that's a lot of conversations, you know, water cooler, virtual water cooler conversations <laughs> with our current investors, you know, because mm-hmm. they, they're seeing the market every day, right? They're being pitched every day. They're looking through deals. They're shifting through deals. And so, you know, we're asking them, hey, the last 10 series A rounds that you were a part of, you know, what was the ARR, you know, what was the um, the run rate, uh, what types of growth did you see in those startups. Um, and then we kind of you know, go back and do some back of the napkin maps to see where, where we stack up in, alongside that, compare that to our, our regular OKRs and our regular KPIs that we're constantly pushing towards. But it is a lot of you know, research, right? It's asking the questions of people who are seeing the numbers every single day, and then on the flip side, we're asking founders who are a stage ahead of us, right? Like, okay, so when you guys went through your Series A, what did the world look like? You know, what was the expectation? What did you feel was um, an easy hurdle to get over? What did you feel was being asked of you that was a little, a bit more challenging? You know, what metrics maybe we're not considering right now that came into play? You know, as you went out to raise your Series A, and so it's asking a lot of those questions to make sure that we are preparing even now for when those conversations for series a start to happen
1: what would you expect to be different about sheer share once you Mm -hmm. leave seed stage and enter series a is it all about scaling significantly national marketing Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in your mind what are some of the things that you don't do when you're in seed stage and you might do in series a
2: i definitely believe Our pre-seed was really good to to build. Uh, Seed is really we have the data uh, we're building toward opportunities that we see that we can scale. And we're testing those those ideas and we're getting to understand the data much better. And it's and it's much more directional data about exactly where we're going and where we where we see the, the line definitely crossing over into the next horizon going into that Series A. So I think that, you know, in the seed series where we we've, we've figure some things out, we have great directional data and we're looking at more monetary value and that comes in different types of no, no revenue streams, whether it be, you know, not just transactional, not just, but, but ads and, and also subscriptions in different ways and also giving the users opportunities to now get different types of other products that could really help them. So those are the things that we are doing in this, in this seed and also bringing the right people. You know, you do so much in your pre seed and in your first half of your seed to make sure you got the right people. So you making sure you got the right talent, but also you need more than just a CEO and a CEO and a head of engineering. You need head of product. You need not just a product manager, but a head of growth. And you need people that are are actually working in their prescriptive area, designated expertise area to help you get to exactly where you're going. And you all see the vision and the the, the direction of where this company is going to go in the next phase of of growth. And so series A is really going to put us in a place now where the numbers are going to multiply. They're just not adding anymore. They're multiplying. And we're seeing things that this data that we have is so golden. So we can do more with it. We don't just have one thing to look at. We have several things and the data isn't, isn't a joke. It's, it's good, bad and different, <laughs> but we know how to finagle all these, all these pieces of data and say, you know what, this is where things are going to really be very healthy. And these are the things right here that we're going to keep over here in this pool, because we're going to see it again. Most of these things that we're, we're seeing, no one can get this data. I don't care who you are. I don't care what big brand you are. I don't care how big your company is, whether it be from Amazon. You can't get this data if you don't know the industry. You have to know the industry. This is A person is not a product unless they're putting themselves in a position to be a product. But at the end of the day, the data that we're getting is strictly from the brains of people. And they're just not giving that data out to anyone unless the product or the, the platform that you're selling is, is strictly for them. So Shearshare has so much diamond, diamond data that is just unbelievable. And so we're just, we're utilizing all that for the next phase, not just in this middle stage and the latter stage of seed, but to also get us in that series A to where we see those numbers and that growth monetarily and financially exponentially get multiplication wise.
3: I I really like that. You said diamond, diamond data? Diamond data. Can I, can I trademark that? Do you mind that? Get it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Love it. Love it.
1: So seed is sounds like it's getting all the pieces into place. And then Series A would be scaling based on those pieces you got into place in, in seed stage.
3: And, yeah. and even more so, pre-seed you know, felt like you're a bit more reactionary, right? Because you're, mm. you're like, okay, what does what the end user need? What does this stylist need right now from me that I can provide? Okay, and then what does this salon host and barbershop host need right now from the company that we can provide? And it was very much much reactionary to where that's honestly a part of just us as founders, our heart for this industry, because beauty's fed our family for, you know, thirty years now. That's just like a default guru response, if you will. But learning as you transition from being the founder who does 19 different jobs within an eight-hour day, transitioning to, okay, now we can afford to be a little bit more proactive and respond differently and definitely more intelligently to what our community is telling us that they need and want.
2: While we're spending wisely because we know that number. Yeah. Of funds can go very fast if you're just not paying attention. So mm-hmm. we we were able to spend well because we bootstrapped and we spent our we spent our own money <laughs> wisely. So we know that you no know, having this money and knowing that we had this run rate and knowing that we needed to build off of all the the tools and the and the people that we needed, we had to learn how to spend money well. And so I think that that's where uh, that expertise goes into the Series A as well as having that knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, it's good. <laughs>
0: We're gonna take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash giant robots, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Thanks again to Scout APM for sponsoring today's episode. When you are asking around for advice from investors and other founders around you know, when is the right time for series A, or like what those benchmarks should be? Mm -hmm. What were the typical answers? Mm
3: -hmm. It seems to be pretty consistent with like, you know, a million ARR, or X percent of growth in a particular region, or like for us, that that may be a particular region, or like one individual city, um, making sure that the team internally is a well-rounded team, right? So if it was just myself and Ty going out to raise Series A and we're saying, you know, we need X number of million dollars for our Series A and they ask us, how many are your team? And you say two. I mean, that's an easy answer to be like, nah, I think we're going to be a hard pass. Mm -hmm. Um, But making sure that the team internally was set up for success, right? And we've done a lot of, really hard work to make sure that we have put the right pieces in place. And so the chessboard for ShearShear is looking very, very nice. I always feel that way when we hire another new team member, but where we sit today, even post COVID, like I have so much hope. And I'm so excited, like beyond excited for uh, this next phase for for our company. But those seem to be, you know, at the highest level, what investors, at least on paper, like to look at first before even, you know, understanding the broader, bigger vision.
0: And when you do go for series A, is that going to be with the same investors? Or does that then look like a totally different group of folks that you're working with?
2: Well, it, it depends. I mean, the investors that have come in so far, we feel like would probably come back in on, well, at the least long-term, long term, yeah. especially people like Rise of the Rest who came in and are preceding our seed. We're not sure if we're going to still be in the same position to get others like a Charles Hudson from Precursor because they typically invest in the preceding seed round. So we're definitely going to uh, hinge on their relationships to get us some of their investors out of their portfolio, but we definitely feel like we can go to those investors and just ask and just see if they want to come in. But you know, who who doesn't want to come in in a price round? I mean, we feel like you know, once you get to that Series A, you're in that price <laughs> round. So hey, you know what? You can come in and say, you know what, I can triple down on my money or double down on my money and make it look a little bit more attractive to me. Or you can say, you know what, I want someone else to get in on this round, and they're going to come from my portfolio. I feel like you guys are doing a, a great job, but you know. Courtney, you want to
3: add? Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, the investor, the investing partners that we have today, you know, like the Charles Hudson's the precursor, um, the Arlen Hamilton's of VAXH Capital, Jillian Manis of Structure, of course, Steve Case Over at Rise of the Rest and such. And those, even when we were raising our pre seed, were very strategic investment partners for Sheer Share. Again, Ty and I are a little bit longer in the tooth, right? So this is not our first rodeo of building something from scratch. It just happens to be our first tech company that we're building together. But all the other partnership accomplishments that we've done together have been successful. And so this is just one more thing, another way that we're truly leaving our legacy. But those investors, you know, we would love for those folks to still be a part of the share share journey. They've added so much more than, you know, wired funds, right? And so the people who come alongside you from the very beginning, like those relationships are super important to us. And it's something not to ever take lightly. Because they've helped to guide us to where we are today. Uh, but thinking ahead to, you know, who we would want to add, you know, as a series A investor, it would be someone who has chops in deep tech, right? So, you know, as we turn the corner for all things AI and machine learning, you know, that would just make the most sense for us to have someone who, another person, a personality that we can talk to about, you know, the new challenges that we're facing. Cause every day, you know, you're, you're overcoming another challenge. Um, and every day you're learning more and every day, you're in the data, trying to figure out, you know, what's the best thing that's going to serve the community that we serve and serve the company to make sure that we're around mm-hmm. to serve the community that we serve. Uh, and so, those are just a, a couple of things that that I think about that kind of keep me up at night that I'm excited about because that will add an additional layer of flavor um, to what sheer share looks like in the future.
0: Yes, yeah, an interesting dynamic that there are just like for a startup going through to these different stages they kind of match with different types of investors. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's the, you know, check size and people will specialize in, you know, I love working with idea to product or Mm -hmm. product Mm -hmm. to market fit. And then it's like a kind of, yeah, this mix of folks as you're growing who are staying on in different uh, capacities and also introducing you to other people at the next stage because they've got those relationships too, like the ones they're doing the handoff to. No,
3: that's right. That's right. And at the end of the day, you know, people like to do business with people they like. Right. So, you know, coming out of 500, I think something people always said was just don't be an a hole. Just like, don't, don't (laughs) do that. You know, if you can just not do that, that's going to help you get even further. You know, when you think about the small startup community or how small it actually feels once you start to, um, you know, uncover different layers of it. But you're right. It's because those people who, you don't know, like you believe in you, have bought into the vision. They're going to do their druthers to make sure that they're communicating with the next investor who can who could possibly come in on a Series A and helping her understand the bigger vision, the bigger like how Shushir is really owning the marketplace, right? And that's that's something that we don't have to do. But so by the time we walk into the room, the bricks have already kind of been set and the wet cement is just there, and we just got to step into it.
0: How do you do? Your own due diligence on investors.
2: Oh my God! I mean, that's one of the things we had to learn in five hundred. So they would give us this list, and at that particular time, you know, we were going through, and we would just kind of asked our coach, you know, do they invest in these types? And once we realized we're a marketplace, so let's make sure we narrow it down to marketplace investors and somewhat fintech. Sometimes a fintech mm-hmm. and a marketplace investor will will invest, or at least based on the name or based on how exciting they are about investing in marketplace, kind of narrow it down that way. So we had to learn to do our research and see what companies they invest in. So we had to do a lot of deep research and, and just kind of understand what companies they invested in, if they were even fintech or SaaS. Even if we saw some in there that were just SaaS, we would still do our research and say, OK, well, we see that they invested in a marketplace what was the interest in that marketplace they invested in? So just kind of just breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down to just brass tacks and just understanding where we wanted to go, where we want to put our time and how much time we wanted to give that individual. So if it's someone that invested in, in says if we could just get on a call just to kind of see how interested they would be, then that would be better than just showing up at the office or, or asking for an intro mm-hmm. or warm intro. We could actually do our own research. So we really got good at that. And I have to admit before you couldn't have got a lot of conversation out of me because I was always <laughs> a visual learner and I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm like, Courtney, this is reading what I, of people yeah, in spirits. Yeah. Spirit. So I'm just yeah. like, OK, this is what I read. Mm-hmm. And then I would just do my own research as far as you know, finding out the literature on them and just saying, OK, this is where I think they lie at. And so let's let's go in there with this approach. So we always had that one 2 approach and we were always in. You know, did our part by feeding off of each other, kind of like we always do. And it's kind of like the thing now where we, just, we don't want to be on a call without that because I do so much different things in just knowing a few things within the numbers where Courtney does a lot of the numbers and knowing a few things about the vision and all the things that we're trying to do there. So it just makes it for a great team to just be able to research and do our due diligence ourselves because it takes a lot. We didn't know that at first and we really thought it was a waste of time. But once we started really narrowing it down to what investors were more valuable to us in our time, that's when we really got good at it.
3: And that's on the surface, right? Because then you have all of your back channel conversations that happen. Like we never go into an investor call without having pinged our virtual group of friends, right? So they're like these virtual barbecues, if you will, that are happening. And we're asking these founders like, hey, what have you guys heard about this person? What have you guys heard about this firm? You know, who has worked with this firm? Who has pitched this firm before? And there was actually an investor This was during the pre-seed round. There was actually an investor that we were pretty excited about, and we're like, "Oh wow, you know, this person, you know, has the SB chops. You know, he seems to be it it was a him. He seems to be well respected by other investors, at least other white male investors. And so, you know, this may help open the doors for us, you know, even further. But then when we asked a group of black female founders. Found out that the person was pretty much misogynist and had sexually harassed female founders who had walked into mm-hmm. his office, and so immediately, although he wanted to write us a check, we were like, absolutely not, we could not take the money from him. But that, that was, mm-hmm. that, but
2: that wasn't the funniest part. No matter how much we tried to turn him down, he was still <laughs> trying to attract persistent. us. He yeah. was so persistent, and we huh. and, and and I just had to just be blunt. I just had to say no and put a few more you know uh, emojis emojis in there and like, <laughs> no and then he and then he still let he still turned it down very very politely by saying okay well please if i would love to talk to you guys even after he accepted the fact that we just totally turned him down he still wanted to you no, know, meet. He said, "If you change your mind, I'm here." Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was crazy. Well, thing. it's probably
1: no surprise that he doesn't know how to take no for an answer. It's, oh, right. It's
2: <laughs> yeah, real. when you
3: say it like that, yeah. So there are <laughs> there are a lot of back channel conversations that that happen that the investors who don't have the best public reputation I would say just they have to be careful because people are constantly talking and people are saying no and it's not because you know the startup doesn't want or need the capital but it is that we cannot be connected, you know, be connected yeah and tied at the uh-huh. hip to somebody that we don't agree with on the most basic level like integrity is is huge to us character is huge to us and how dare we make a, a rash decision for the sake of our company our employees the community that we serve just because it was a greenback we it's, would never do that
2: especially with the the term "culture vultures" floating around, <laughs>
1: <laughs> obviously finding people who match the values, making sure that they're they're going to be a good fit for you overall, and you you said earlier like making sure that they had people on their team who looked like you was a factor for your mm-hmm. success. Un- yes. Unfortunately, because mm-hmm. it's a it's a problem in the investor community in general that there aren't a lot of women and people of color. On the teams. So it sounds like you figured out how to navigate that. And I'm sorry that you had to even figure it out. But like, and I I recognize you don't have all the answers. (laughs) But do you see some change happening in, in the industry? And what's what's working in terms of some change?
3: Well, I mean, just being black in America, you have to figure it out like every day, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, our son, for example, of course, was our first, you know, intern at Share, And, you know, a typical Friday night could be, hey, Trey, I need you to text these 150 stylists with, you know, this wording. And then, you know, five minutes later, we're telling him how to act and behave when he gets pulled over by the police, right? And so, you know, that's like a very standard, you know, conversation or Friday night, Mm -hmm. at least in the Caldwell household and for many uh, black parents. But yeah, it is a very sad fact that there aren't, Many more of us, especially because black females are the you know fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, right but we are the least funded, and so that goes to show you that we we have the chops to to start something right we have the chops to make something out of nothing and to make something grow, uh, but unfortunately, at every turn we're we're asked to do a hundred times better than someone with less melanin, and that that's really unfortunate. But if I could, you know, give some hope or motivation or encouragement to the founders who are coming after us or who, you know, may look like us and who are just, you know, in their current raise or thinking about raising or trying to contemplate whether or not they're going to take money from a VC. Um, it is to first make sure that you believe in yourself because you have to believe in yourself first before anybody else will. And that was just something that our parents just constantly poured into us. And so I'm so glad that we had you know, that type of upbringing because that really does play itself out you know, as you go out and you know, choose to however it is that you choose to kind of make your mark on this world. But then ask people for, for help. Like we didn't have any problem asking because we didn't know what the heck the lingo was. We didn't know what a term sheet was You know, several years ago we didn't know what a pitch was before we got up on a stage and had to like create slides to pitch an audience of investors and so many of us are very fast learners and very quick learners and especially the ones who just have a couple more months uh, of more skin in the game or a couple of years ahead of those who are coming after us we have no problem in you know kind of trying to share the learnings that we've battled through to help someone else get over that same hurdle
1: so you just have to become really successful and then become VCs yourselves too, right? <laughs>
3: Already. <laughs> we, we've as, made as, our as mind angel investors. Yo, yeah, we, I mean, <laughs> there's no stopping us. Like why why have to wait until we have an exit or IPO, right? There's there's no reason. If we have some funds set aside, we're going to risk it because at every point we're always going to bet on ourselves. And so that's how we actively try to pay it forward for
0: sure.
1: That's great. So speaking of exit how much do you think about that personally?
3: i you probably going to get different answers from both of us. Yeah.
1: I, I, <laughs> That's okay. I,
2: That's great.
0: I, I, and depending think, on the day.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to talk about today then. Uh, <laughs> today, I think about it because I know that it's it's, it's a journey. I know that it's a marathon in, in what we're doing when we think about what a marathon looks like for a startup. It's a long process. Uh, so we do think about it, but we know that there's value in just being uh, committed. And so we don't, Knock it. We just really want to make sure that we're doing everything we can and thinking about what they told us when we were in 500. Whatever you do, just do not die. So, doing everything (laughs) we can to make sure we stay alive and stay committed and and also just continue to build relationships to make sure we have the funding and as we're building our company because you know it gets tough. You have your days where you know I'll I'll tell Courtney, it's like today is just a tough day. So I got to get through the day and get ready for tomorrow because I know tomorrow might be a different day. So, you know, you just always kind of have to make sure that you're up to par with your mental capacity as far as, you know, positive, weighing everything that it takes in order to think in that, that, that long tranche of a time. Mm-hmm. And so we're just, we're, like, like Courtney said, we're just longer in the tooth per se about our levels of wisdom and, and mentality and how we want to see our company really succeed. And so uh, exit is is, is really was something we would love to think about. And I often think about the founder of Facebook when he said that he turned down the $40 million to continue to uh, move his company forward. And, and that's something that keeps me motivated. You know, sometimes people will throw a number at you just to kind of see where you're at. And, and people would be mad, be mad. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the pre-seed investors, angel investors, will have loved to get their payout. You know, but we see the bigger picture and where we can take this company.
3: And the way that my husband and I are so vaguely different, like one of our favorite shows is on HGTV, you know, it's when they come in and kind of like redo um, an entire home, right? He is the kind of person who loves to see when they've demolished that house and they have taken it down to the studs and all you can see are like, you know, areas of where a room should be. Now we can both be staring at this house, right? in it's demolished state and he is like drooling. And I'm looking at it like, what the heck? Like, Where's the bathroom? Like, I can't see anything. I'm the kind of person who on the flip side likes to come in and I can finish it off when I have the rooms in order. Like, oh, OK, this is the bathroom. This is the kitchen. This is the largest bedroom in the house. I know we're not saying master bedroom anymore. Um, and so that to me is where I shine. And so when I think about just our personalities at the most basic level, We really do run in our lanes, you know, even when it comes to parenting, even when it comes to communicating with our other family members outside of this house, and even when it comes to nurturing our own team internally at ShareShare. And so, you know, he thinks about exiting a different way, but where we match is that we know this is a long tail investment for us, right? This is something that we want to see hundreds of years from now, to be honest. Like this is, like stylists are already telling us right now that they're reimagining how they're working, where they're working, how much they're paying, when they're working, and so we are there at that kind of tipping point to be able to say, yeah, we we get you. You know, we were seeing where the puck was about to be shot way before there was even you know a goalie, and so we're there at that moment in time. And I see this um, as extremely long term. Like we want to IPO share share. There's no reason why we can't do it. There's so much opportunity in the space where we sit to continue to do this thing right to where we are convinced that nobody else could do Mm -hmm. it the way we can do it no one else would have the level of care to be able to service the community that we serve the way that we do like when you look at our backgrounds even you know his expertise and subject matter expertise and all things beauty and barbering and then here i come with you know marketing and my ops hat like it doesn't make sense like we We are the perfect marriage to fulfill this particular, to really to tackle this billion dollar industry. And Mm -hmm. that's what we're here to do. I can't imagine us doing anything else.
1: That's great. And you're far enough away from any potential IPO or whatever that it probably hasn't influenced your decision making about what you Mm -hmm. do with the company or what your product looks like or who you're serving. You're still early enough on that. You can focus pretty exclusively on building the best business possible, right? Absolutely.
3: That's right serving that customer, every mm-hmm. customer, every day, filling an empty space every day, keeping one more business open in a small town America or big city America every day. That That's what we're here to do right now.
0: So we touched on a few of your exciting updates, but I think last time we talked to you, you had a head of product who was just starting and you've made hires since then? Yeah, <laughs> yes,
3: yeah. So, uh, and it's so funny because coming out of COVID, you just like, you know, which way is the wind going to blow today? And, and I'm so happy where the team has landed. Like, we, we had a head of engineering, you know, prior to COVID who was killing it like the man's a beast. And now we've added um, a head of product and she is beyond phenomenal. I mean, her chops span way back and her sweet spot is all about mobile. And so very happy to have her on board. And then we just hired um, a, a new for the first time. We have a head of growth and strategic partnerships. And so that the, the partnership side of things we have not really delved into, or had the mind space to really think about it but having that individual just focus on all things growth both from um you know individual stylists and salon and barbershop owner standpoint but then also these phenomenal relationships that we can build And kind of invite people to fish out of the pond that we have created over here at ShareShare.
2: And it was purposeful. I will say it was purposeful not to have those uh, worry about those partnerships simply because we wanted to make sure that we were visible, that we had the data, that we we Mm -hmm. were doing our due diligence. So it's hard to just walk up to a big brand of a product and say you want a partnership when they're going to want Data That's going to substantiate why this partnership should happen. So now that we're in this good spot, I think that is a really good sweet spot of growth. Uh, Head of product and um, customer relations is going to be key to taking us to the next phase of where we're going.
3: Yep. And if I could put in a plug, we don't even have a job work for this yet, but we do want to hire a, a data scientist. So if you are interested in you know changing the world with us and really supporting the backbone of the American economy, which is small businesses and the second largest industry for freelancers, we got mm-hmm. you.
1: Do you think that that role is a uh, head of data engineering role or is it more sort of entry to mid-level? We need someone who can execute on some stuff coming out of the accelerator.
3: You know, definitely execution chops are going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Not to say that that person wouldn't, um, you know, be the head who also adds to her Mm -hmm. or his team, right? Uh, But somebody who definitely owns their responsibility within Sheer Share uh, and who is not afraid of communication because we have. Lots of wonderful folks that we service every day in this amazing community and industry who love to provide feedback to us. So being able to to own you know what it is that you're you're helping to accomplish every day within sheer is really something that's yeah. important to us. Yeah, can be a head or can be an executioner.
1: So c- congratulations on the hiring. As you add Thank people you. to the team, do, are they getting options? Does your team have equity? How how have you thought about that?
3: They do, yeah. Depending on on the hire, for sure, mm-hmm. um, it makes the most sense, right? You know, we're putting skin in the game. We want to make sure that they have skin in the game, and that ownership piece just does something to to your psyche. You know, when you get up every day, it's not just, oh my gosh, I have to do this. You know, nine to five or whatever hours. You know, you, you clock in. It is, I own a piece of this, and I, and I feel that much more involved in the day-to-day decisions. Like I think about the long-term vision where that person sits on the customer support side or as an engineer, right? they think about the long-term vision of sheer share completely differently than someone who is just there to collect a paycheck every couple of weeks. So that, that is important to us, to where we share in the success. I mean, that's really down to the base level of, of who we are as a company, right? Like our hosts share in the success of sheer share. We're not charging them to list their empty space on the platform. We win when they win. We get paid when they get paid. And so the same goes for how we treat our, our team members internally as well. Like everybody wins, mm-hmm.
1: as it should be. At what point did you create that option plan in the oh, company's life so beginning. far and and who helped you do it?
3: very beginning 500 startups mm-hmm. yeah cuz mm-hmm. we were like what's an option plan <laughs> 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 spell options and so it was just something that we that we learned you know being a part of that program and why it was so beneficial but it wasn't just our wonderful folks at 500 saying, hey, every startup needs this, you know, they would present something to us, you know, as the startup founders, you are the owners of your own destiny, right? So it's it's important that you do the due diligence yourself to go figure out, is this something that I want to provide to future team members, you know, advisory board members, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have conversations with other startup founders and ask, hey, was this important to you? How important to you was it? Did it help you attract, you know, more insightful board members or more skillful team members? Like what was the benefit? And is there anything Differently that you would have done if you could do it all over again, and so just asking you know those kind of questions led us back to yeah this needs to be something that we're going to commit to.
0: Would you recommend first time founders go through an accelerator?
2: I would encourage it. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend it, but I would definitely encourage it simply because there's a lot of things you don't know, and <laughs> I, I'm just so <laughs> thankful that even in the virtual program with YC Fellowship, you know there were things even. In the midst of us going through that virtual program, we didn't really get it till our second time going through the core program of 500 because it's virtual. And I think this is what's going to make our virtual experience with Google even much better because we've gone through virtual, we've gone through core and then we'll go through virtual again. So we we're really we really get it. So I would encourage them to go through some type of program. But even if it's just something where it could give them some mentorship, they need to understand just the foundation of what they're building, because The idea in itself is not enough and to love it is not enough. You have to really like it and have a passion for it. So there are things that are going to really, those are the things that are really going to weigh on you mentally to really see where you're at as far as your ideal. And Mm -hmm. if it's something that you really want to dwell into, if it's something that you really think that you can be able to do. And so I I would definitely encourage it.
3: Yeah. I I would say to first time founders, like find an area where meritocracy is celebrated. Right. So it could be the accelerator programs and we would do 500 startups all over again. If we had if if we had to start all over Um, that program, those fine folks have provided so much more value than the equity uh, in our company. And we're very happy to have them on the cap table. But even thinking outside of accelerators, like I would say locate a a pitch competition that's local. Right. Like figure out where you can go, where there are opportunities for um, non-dilutive cash rewards for winning maybe a pitch competition or participating in some type of program that provides that for you at the most basic level and and start winning that way. Because one, that'll help you increase your confidence in talking about what it is that you're trying to build. It will introduce you to people that may not have been within your network or in your, your hemisphere prior to. And then it will give you earned media that there's no price tag for some of that so definitely look for areas where where there's a meritocracy and take full advantage, and then you can decide further about you know how you want to provide capital to your your dream.
1: Did you ever consider bootstrapping? We did. We did bootstrapping. We,
3: we didn't know there was any other option.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> okay, I uh, meant I meant
1: beyond <laughs> what the point you did. <laughs> like,
2: oh yeah, um, I think so. It, it could have went both ways. I mean, we we wanted to really see if this was something that we we're excited about. And when you put your own money in it, you got skin in the game. So it's something that you want to to do. So yes, we were, for the most part, thought provoking about really going into it, but we didn't want to talk about it too long because we didn't want to talk ourselves out of it. <laughs>
3: That's uh-huh. true. And we built things before, right? Not having known about, you know, this kind of bubble that, that exists, which is the startup world. But yeah, we, we considered it, try to weigh the options. We were at a point in the company where, we desperately wanted our own um, engineers and those don't come cheap, um, just in case anyone asks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and so you want you want great talent. You know, it's going to come with a price tag and our savings account did not have that price tag in it at the time. So it, it was important for us to you know partner with the right folks, the right VCs who were able to see the forest for the trees who were able to guide us in, in really putting down stakes and winning the market. And that comes with a cost, right? And so, you know, if you want those types of relationships, if you want to move faster, especially when you're pioneering a space that didn't exist before, you know, some of those things you have to ask yourself, like, how fast do I want to move? And coming out of 500, what I really appreciate about that program is that it's almost like a forcing function, right? So every week, you know, every Monday, you're talking with your main point of contact or your growth you know, expert about what it is that you wanna see happen within the business by that Friday. So everything is just accelerated on like uh, another level. And so you're throwing 10 ideas up against the wall. By Friday, something may have stuck. Like maybe two of those ideas worked. Whichever one netted net the best results, you keep that double down on it for week number two and you go at it all over again. And so because we were in that type of you know race within ourselves that we were naturally creating within sheer shares how we were operating the, the business, it made sense for us to go out and find those people who could move just as quickly and who understand you know the world of startups and who are willing to bet on something that didn't exist before. And again, those persons, those personalities, those resources come with a price tag. And so we were ready at mm-hmm. that time to say, yeah. We want to partner with the best individuals, the best firms who are going to be there long term, who understand this long tail investment opportunity, and let's get at it.
1: It's probably worth noting too, just in general, with a marketplace where you're taking a a small percentage of a transaction, Mm -hmm. those businesses are hard to bootstrap because you need to be at a certain scale in order to be generating significant revenue. And to get to that point in a bootstrap way can be very difficult.
3: Mm-hmm. Don't we know it?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so that's, I think, why companies that have that financial model find that they do need to raise money. They do need to take institutional investment to get over that hump, to get to that scale Possibly. where you're generating that significant. Yeah.
3: And and then you got to think, too, about the opportunities that that two sided marketplace can bring, because once you uh-huh. start collecting all the chips on the table, if you will, you know, that opens you up for opportunities to diversify your revenue in a way that, again, right. never existed before. And again, that comes with, with the cost. And so as fast as you want to run, I think that's the money trail that you have to embark on.
1: I have more questions, but <laughs> but, but uh, we've gone long. So I know I can
3: <laughs> I'm like, should we ask one more or <laughs> Now this has been great. We, we you know we always appreciate being able to to chat with you guys. Um, cause it's always a, a a good time for us even to kind of pause and remind ourselves of the wins. You know because sometimes the startup founders you forget mm-hmm. to celebrate those small wins. Although my husband is really good at that. He's like, you need to take a breather. We need to go you know walk around the block or go visit family, mm-hmm. just celebrate, you know, today.
2: It doesn't right? mean that she does it,
3: but you. <laughs> Really? You're going to let the world know about, I, hey, about what we I, do I, behind I, closed I, doors? I'm
2: just going to tell you where we don't align. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm learning, you know, 20 years in, I, I'm, I'm still learning. And and it's a yeah, it yin we're and still yang. <laughs> it is definitely a yin and a yang, um, and I, I, I love my yang so much.
0: <laughs> well, I guess to kind of end things here, it's always... Interesting to check in with you and what you're seeing yeah. on the business side. I think in like, you know, the last month and change, we've seen states kind of open up and then mm-hmm. close up again. What are you seeing in the product?
3: Yeah. So, so saying like California was one of our top five states overall, right? And, you know, they'd open and then they'd have the close sign on the next week and then they'd open. And then now Governor Newsom is saying, oh, you can do limited service appointments outside. And of course, all of that, I mean, just ask a handful of people, one, do you as a customer want to get your hair done outside, whether it's raining or it's hot? I know my husband and I always talk about, you know, his clients when he was cutting hair and, and someone would be sweating and it's really hard to cut hair when someone is sweating. And so it's just those little minutiae that people who are making the decisions don't really understand. And so it it kind of befuddles me and definitely a person, you know, I'm a black female with natural curly hair. And so if I do my, get my hair done outside, it's going to be not as cute as if I had gotten it done inside (laughs) in a very nice air conditioned environment where there's like water. And so anyway, um, so yeah, we have seen uh, lots of different, you know, changes state to state, but I am very grateful that what we did in our early days of Sheer Share was listen to the market when they said, hey, I need you to be over here. I need you to be over there. Again, it was very reactionary, right? And so you're just doing what you can to kind of serve as that concierge service because you're learning with each new person who gives you a dollar what's better, what we, what can we do better, how can we better serve you? But doing that, doing it that way, and it's a very hard way of being reactionary kind of set us up for where we are today so that when California turns red, we don't have to worry about the entire business shutting down or if New York says, "Hey, we're we're going to, you know, delay phase 3 opening by a couple more weeks, we don't have to concern ourselves with that particular portion of the nation because we have, you know, 600 other cities that are all green." And so we are definitely learning even more about uh, what that means for our individual stylists and hosts in those particular regions of the of the nation. But we're still on for helping them in different ways, right? whether it be education, whether it be helping them transition some of their business online. And we become like an e-commerce, you know, tool, if you will. You know, sheer shares now a brand new distribution channel for products that didn't exist before. Like you, it, it, you used to be able to go walk your bag into a salon and immediately sell the one salon owner and hit 25 stylists. And now 70% of those stylists are independent and may not be there the next week when you return. So how do you keep yourself, your product, whatever it is that you're selling top of mind? Well, I tell you where they are. They they are on sheer share because they have to have space, professional space to work. And they have to have sanitized, safe, professional space to work for their clients, to even book with them. And so we become again the perfect kind of pond for people to fish out of if they're looking for licensed uh, cosmetologists and licensed uh, barbers.
0: So, are you seeing um, transactions take place in the app? And oh, yeah, is that like close to where you were hoping it would be?
3: Yeah, yeah. We, we've, already, we've already hit back to where we were this time last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and the, the top five states look different now, of course, as you can well imagine, as they did, you know, in 2019. Um, but that's great for us because that means that, you know, we're activating in areas that were a little sleepy um, and they're becoming like these sleepy giants. And so, yeah, we, we started activating again, uh, started share, share bookings on the platform again as soon as Georgia opened up. And then Texas was right alongside that, and Florida. uh, And so it it continues as these states turn green again. You know, people are like, I need to get out and I need to work so I can feed my family. Definitely the unemployment, you know, stopping with the extra $600 a week that pushes people out a little bit faster to make sure that they're, you know, seeing clients and, you know, taking their appointments and whatnot. Uh, But we are seeing a, a different shift in how they're doing that. Yeah. You know, they're choosing to stay closer to home now. They're choosing um, to work fewer days per week. Um, and the way that they're scheduling their clients looks different.
2: The great thing about it was the reactionary behavior that COVID showed us in the industry. We understand that nothing like this has ever happened, The pandemic. Now, we've dealt with different downturns of the economy where the industry haven't hasn't been hurt. But this pandemic really hurt the world. Uh, per se. So we saw a lot of reactions from that and took those reactions and and decided, you know what, we can use this data. And one thing we realized about this pandemic is that people do not mind being cooped up for a while, but we know that we'll eventually get lost in that mental capacity Mm -hmm. and they want to Eventually, get out. So, we know that salons and barbershops and spas are going to be their places of retreat. It's almost going to be like going on a, a short vacation, yeah, to, the, to, vacation. The, to the little staycation. So, that's one of the things that we realized that how valuable these small businesses were. And not just the brick and mortars, but the, the licensed professionals, how valuable they were. People just really didn't feel safe with someone coming in their home, even though we knew people were doing it because it was a reactionary behavior people prefer to be somewhere where they're safe be out of their home they don't want their home to be part of their everyday lives as far as getting things done services they want to get out they want to look nice and they want to go out looking one way come back looking another <laughs> and just feel good about just being out amongst the social world and and and, and seeing a different place yeah. or a different scenery so we learned a lot and so we we definitely understand that this may the the covid-19 may hit again in some states but we know that the reaction won't be really necessary. The long term benefit is something that we just have to adapt to for the short period of time, knowing that we got data to, to really utilize in our platform.
3: And, and even so I think that, you know, people feel safer when it comes to beauty and barbering because, you know, over half of our education, half of the hours that we spend in cost school or barber college is actually devoted to sanitation. And precautionary, yeah, for anything hair, skin, and nails related, and so that's important to note. Like we're we're not just someone who is doing a job that's outside of this realm, right? Like this is something right. that we've always had to be cautious about, standardizing cleanliness and sanitation, and making sure that we, as individuals and as the brick and mortars, meet those regulations. And so it's it's been good to hear. I mean, if you just look at the news and read what's going on in the news, you don't hear, oh my gosh, you know, Florida has has an uptick because this person visited a salon or over in California, we're shutting down because everybody who tested positive for COVID the last two weeks went to their barbershop. Like you're not hearing that. And there's a reason mm-hmm. why people aren't hearing that is because we, we take what we do one very seriously. And two, because they pounded in us during training. Like we're we're just a part of, it's just a part of every day. Like you walk into a salon, it has to be clean and you have to clean up after your client leaves. You know, now there are some additional precautions, right? Like people are wearing masks now that we didn't have to do that before. But, you know, we've always had that be the beacon. Like that's always been something that is very basic in our industry. And so you see how that's playing out as a result in in media today and the number of cases. It's not coming from the salons.
1: Wonderful, so, as always, thanks for joining us and uh walking us through everything with fundraising this this month and everything else that's been happening with with sheer sure share so I know if people want to follow along in between episodes, they can do that on Instagram at Share. right?
3: Yeah, that's right. And they can visit our website at Shearshare.com. If you are a licensed cosmetologist or barber, or you have one, which we know you all do because everyone gets their hair done, uh, let them know about Share. It's a free download on the Google Play and App Store.
0: Great. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or
1: comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel.
0: And me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski.
1: Thanks for listening and see you next time.